you know, Bryce Harper gets his four hundred million no dollar deal. It wasn't around this time, and it's, right. it's thirteen years. I'm not saying he's not getting a, you know a ton of money, but you're starting to see a little crack in the armor. And you know, if they wait till it's too late, I'm going to be so ticked off. Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. From the Gotham Podcast Studio in the heart of downtown New York City, Tribeca, my hometown, greatest city in the world. This is the conversation. It is freezing here in the Northeast as winter still holds on here in early March. Everyone is looking for a break. College teams are fleeing the area to get into some warm weather so that they can get outdoors, play some some games, get some work in, and uh, still for almost 30 years now, I still see teams that are relatively either low mid-major or just barely division one making these treks to these sec acc and west coast schools and getting their brains beat in devoting all these any these uh resources time money uh uh to going down and for some inexplicable reason coming back one in ten i'm not really sure what the, the probative value is of any of that i've been talking about it since i was a player uh, and yet teams continue to do it. I just don't know why like-minded uh, teams with similar resources who play basically at the same level don't convene someplace, play each other, get a lot of work in, and uh, really make the best use of the single most valuable resource that any of them have, especially in the Northeast, and that is time. But they continue to do it. I continue to laugh. It makes for good fodder. Uh, so life goes on. Uh, my guest, Bill Burt. Sports writer, veteran sports writer, 34 years at the Eagle Tribune in North Andover, Mass., about 25 miles outside of Boston. He's covered the Patriots since 91. He's been to every single Super Bowl. Wow. So that means he saw the six they won, the three they lost, and the two that if I were coaching either of those teams, they would have lost against Seattle, where I would have just handed the ball off and they would have lost. They actually did lose that game. In fact, they knew that game was over, except only Pete Carroll could be that bad and against the Falcons if you just run the ball out Tom Brady never gets a chance to come back and beat me but uh that did not happen but Bill uh Bill's best uh quality is that he has a great son Max Burt Max was on our show uh last month he's now a Yankee farmhand as a matter of fact um he Bill is down uh 
in Tampa visiting his son, checking him out as uh, early spring training stuff gets underway. I want to welcome aboard Bill Burt. Bill, how are you? Okay, I'm very good, thanks. There's a lot to react to uh, <laughs> from your start about the great, the greatest city in the world. We can debate that. Um, uh, but I have, uh, and I could debate college baseball, uh, some of the mid-majors, lower mid-majors, which is really what a lot of the New England schools are, mm-hmm. and in the, the Northeast, uh, playing the bigger schools, um, especially not having played outside once, mm-hmm. which is a difficult task. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'll, to jump on that, I will say it's an experience. It's a great experience, even though they know they're they're against the eight ball. Uh, and I, my son went to Northeastern University in Boston, yes, which is did. considered a mid-major, made the NCAA tournament for the first time last year in about 15 years. Uh, it's once, uh, you know, I don't want to say millennium, but it's once a generation, though the program coached by Mike Glavin seems to be moving in the right direction where maybe this will be once every two or three years. Uh, it's a good conference, Colonial athletic conference, but back to playing Southern Miss playing South Carolina. Uh, I like it. A great experience. We went to Oklahoma, won our first two games, two, three years ago at Oklahoma. And I'm, we as in Northeastern, uh, won the first two games against two first round draft pick pitchers. Uh, we thought we had a, third round pick and a 10th round pick that beat them and uh, ended up lost the last two games. Who'd you be? You beat, teams... you beat Connor Pilkington. Did you beat Connor Pilkington? Uh, yes, we beat him. Yeah. We beat him the second game. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. He pitched uh, for us. He had a heck of a pitcher. Yeah, and, very uh, in fact, Max, I think Max had a big hit off him and like the, it was like a two, one game. And uh, we went hit a two run single, go up three, two, and we won the game. We had a pitcher back then uh, who's now in, Double A could be Triple A for the Indians. Uh, Aaron Savale, who is the real deal, and we knew he was a real deal back when he was a sophomore. But long story short, I, I really love. I I understand we're behind the eight ball. I I I mean, I guess it would be nice to go to Florida, which is what the Division Three teams do, and play against other regional teams down in good weather. Mm-hmm. But it is a good experience to go to some of these big stadiums. Get your butt kicked most of the time. Uh, I can tell a quick story. We went to Auburn last year, and we, we had a very good team, Northeastern, and lost the first game 7 to nothing to the number one pick in the draft, mm-hmm. threw a no-hitter against us. Mm-hmm. The next day, they're up 13-2. to two. We lose in a 15-11, to 11, uh, but we showed a little fight. And then the third game, we win 2-1. to one. In fact, Max made a great play at short, dived, dived in the outfield, caught a ball, threw him of a course. kid out of the plate. And that that sort of catapulted our season, winning that one game. I mean, we got smoked two games, but winning that one game sort of meant was the defining moment of the season. So I look, I, I'm in I'm in the business. I cover the Patriots. I've covered the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. I was in mm-hmm. uh, the Dodge Dodger Stadium for mm-hmm. the final, uh, the last pitch when uh, the Red Sox had really and truly one of the great seasons in their yes, history. They yes, they did. And. Um, but, but I will say I enjoy Division One college baseball as much as anything. My wife, who's you know comes from a you know decently athletic family, but I my family was really into sports, and we met four years. Last two years, we probably played a big role in getting parents together, having fun, running trips. My wife planned the hotels, and we miss honestly we miss getting our butt kicked somewhere down south. Okay, so I I. I agree and disagree with everything you said. Um, and and I, I say that 
in, in so far as it's wonderful. It's a great experience. Those of us who have played and those who have had kids play, it's a, it's a experience that you can't replace. Uh, there are very few kids, you know, 7% of all kids who play in high school, even play in college. So, and only 2% or about just about almost 3%, but, uh, play at the division one level. Um, and, that experience that you had, if I told you, if you took, if you took the Northeast, uh, and this is not, I mean, the, the purpose of having you on is not to debate whether or not teams should right. go away. They should. I just believe that because you are so far behind the eight ball, uh, that the chance you take in having the experience that you had, uh, 90% of the teams that do what you did go down, they lose the first game, they lose like eight nothing. Uh, because they have an ace, and everybody has that one kid because baseball is that kind of game where if you have a pitcher, you could stay in the game. Then the second game is 14-3, to and number four is pitching for the team from the Northeast because you're going to run out of pitchers. And then the third game of that weekend uh, is a disaster. Um, And and, and then it doesn't stop at the weekend because teams stay a whole week. So now you're, you're in the gym. You're not in shape. You're not in baseball shape. You could do all the gym work you want. You're not in baseball shape. Um, you get you do very little, if any, practicing. See, if it were me, I'd rather go to Florida, play teams that I can beat, and I would have two-a-day workouts where guys would get 500 ground balls and fly balls and swings and come back. They'd go back to the hotel room at 8 o'clock. You would never have a problem with kids staying out after curfew because they'd be asleep <laughs> by 9 o'clock. Um, just, I, I think most teams don't have that Northeastern experience and Northeastern is more of a mid-major, a kind of high mid-major. Mike Lavin has really taken that program, uh, almost to the next level. And, and, and he's irrespective of how good a job he does, he's very limited because you're never going to attract the player who has an option to go, uh, or the lion's share of players who have options to go South or go West uh, you know, not a lot of kids are going to come from Arizona, California, Florida, Atlanta to go to Northeastern or to go to Bryant or go to any one of those really good mid-major schools. So um, I now, the, the one thing on the, the one thing I will say on that, I agree. You're you're right. You're 100 percent right. I will say and Coach Glavin said it during the recruiting process, and I've seen it through working through the newspaper in our area where I live. Carlos Pena grew up five miles from where I live. Uh, I know Carlos very well. And we baseball has put out like 25 division one division one players and about five major league draft picks over the last 15 years. And in football every year we send our best player to maybe BC, maybe UNH and, and baseball is really our sport. We just don't really realize it where we are in our area. And so I, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of pushing the game in a sense where, uh, Look, it's tough because we're going down there. We're going to play like Auburn. We're going to play South Carolina. I mean, it was it was embarrassing how how South Carolina hit left two lefties that were like juniors and seniors. My son had a big weekend his first weekend at Incarnate Word, which was like a Division two program that moved to Division one, and we beat him two out of three. Then we go to play South Carolina, and it was uh, it was like playing the major league compared to what we're done. And I will say the first two plays of Max's freshman and sophomore year, first two plays were pop-ups and our infielders dropped each pop-up because they weren't, it was the first time they were outdoors. I mean, dropped pop-ups to start a game. And that's like the worst thing you can do because the other team says game's over. And, uh, but, but 
I will say overall, I'm looking at the overall experience. It's part of going to these schools where, hey, we're going to play Alabama next year. We're going to play Stanford one year. And look, we got UMass Lowell, who went to Mississippi State, went to Stanford, and comes back 0 and 6, 0 and 7, uh, and doesn't do anything. And that, and but but the kids want that experience, and they got one or two kids that get drafted every year. Stanford gets seven. Uh, you know, another school gets six or five. Um, but overall, I, I will tell you the best one of the best parts is these first six weeks of the season when we get to test ourselves a little bit. And, you know, look, I, my advantage is a little unfair. My son was very good. He was all-conference. He was a borderline, you know, draft kind of kid as a sophomore, junior. So I'm in, I was probably in a different boat. You know, every year we get two or three kids drafted. I will say they could get five this year at Northeastern. But it is we're, – we're going against the eight ball. But I, I like it because you and I have talked about this. There's a toughness that some of the kids have here that even the kids down there don't have and all they have to go through just to get on the damn field and play with these guys. Uh, there's a case to be made for that. I would say that um, if I had to do it for three years or four years when you had a kid, um, I might feel that way. But if you do it for 22 as a coach and you get your brains beat in and yeah. Kansas beat you by 34 runs and, you know, North Florida beat you by 17 runs and Arizona beat you by 19 runs, you start to say to yourself, you know what? This is getting a little tired. Right. This is getting a little tired. So uh, we can indeed agree to disagree. Um, yeah. You are a, uh, a baseball writer. You're a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America. Yeah. And uh, the next Hall of Fame class, you will have a vote. It will be your first vote. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm 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 fascinated by the, um, the 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 sea change that's that's taken place in my opinion as far as how people, um, especially sports writers and the MLB Network, how they view the the, the Hall of Fame. Um, I've always I've always myself found that the Hall of Fame should be a place where the standard should be so high for entrance, so high, so that there are guys who otherwise should be in that are left out to prevent anybody who shouldn't be in from getting in. I mean, I think that's literally the only way that you could ensure that undeserving players don't get in. Uh, and what is starting to happen, and, and it's not starting to happen, but if you listen to the dialogue and you read a lot about what, uh, you know, the, the message makers are saying is, you know, how do we keep a guy on the ballot longer? And wh- why isn't this guy on the ballot longer? And he really is a borderline Hall of Famer. And he... And to me, that is um, that serves to depreciate the Hall of Fame. Um, it, this is just how I feel about it. And um, I uh, I said it before. I said it on one of my podcasts before that I thought that one of the great things about baseball is uh, one of the most charming things about baseball is its homage to its past. Baseball, unlike any other game, reveres its past, its history. Um, and I felt that. Um, I don't know who the writer was that was uh, going to not vote for Mariano Rivera. I considered him my he was my freedom fighter, because if Babe Ruth, who is without question, uh, not only by an immeasurable amount, the greatest player that's ever played the game of baseball, he's arguably one of the greatest pitchers who's ever played the game of baseball. And he single handedly saved the game after the White Sox scandal um, that if he didn't get 100 percent, the the kind of the the tip of the hat uh, to the babe and his greatness was that no one will ever be a 100 percent vote getter. Because now that you've opened that can of worms, and I'm I'm a New York guy and I'm I'm I I think Mariano Rivera is a wonderful pitcher and and all of that. Um, 
But I think now you're going to have you're going to have to have a lot of guys who go in at 100 percent. And Derek Jeter is the next one, because as far as I guess, I, I watched that Yankee dynasty. Derek Jeter is the heart and soul of that dynasty. Um, and right. so so I'm, I, if I can jump in. Yeah, I want to know where you name. fall. Where do you where do you ha- Harold? I can say Harold Baines. So I say Hall of Fame. Really? Um, I'm not saying I, I think he was a very good player. Excellent. At times great. Excellent player. But I just say Harold Baines is not a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. And um, and he's not alone. Uh, I, but, but I will say this, and you've been a guy, you're involved in baseball. I, I, I would put you for, I would put you up for commissioner because you have a lot of good ideas and you, you understand the game and you want to grow the game. Unfortunately, a lot of people in baseball power don't really look at it as growing the game. They're like, they look at it as let's keep our, our share right now. Right. And I disagree because eventually these kids that are playing lacrosse mm-hmm. that think baseball is boring, they're going to be, they're going to have the money soon and, and they're going to start, right. they're not going to watch baseball. We're, we're, we could be screwed. And I'm, I'm talking 15, 10, 15 years from now. So, uh, look, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of this sport. I, I in fact, I had a brief conversation with the commissioner three years ago and uh, I don't think they're doing enough. They're not involved enough in youth baseball. Uh, you know, we can talk about promoting the game and little league baseball, but I, I just don't think they have a long-term vision of young people who are really going to save the sport, keep the sport because right now basketball is surpassed it and football passed it, you know, five, 10 years ago. So we are, if we, if we don't, and for me, I love, I love every sport. I, I think I, I sent a note to you. Hockey, I started out as a hockey guy, and I'm a Bruins guy. Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr, one of my oh. one of my seven geniuses that I have seen participate in yes. sports. Special. Bobby Orr. And today, yes. he would be just as good. Oh, my God. And, you know, look, a lot of the old-time players, if they ever worked out like these guys, oh, did, yeah, forget yeah. about it. Yeah. But, yeah. but that being said, uh, I, I so I, I'm, I'm a sports guy, and uh, I will say this, that I you know that I – covered the Patriots for 27 years and I, I went to Parcell Parcells really if I, you asked me who was the most influential person in your career I would say it's Bill Parcells and Bill Parcells who lives in uh, who still uh, is based uh, in fact in New Jersey also goes up to um, he's up in New York at the racetrack up there Saratoga uh, he Saratoga he uh, and he's down at Jupiter right now and I call him about once a month um, I always have, and he um, he just taught me. I just figured out winning really matters, and what it takes to win. And it's not all this other stuff. And, and I'm not talking; it's not important. I'm not talking guys with great stats aren't important, but the object is winning. And the guys that help you win the most are the guys that are the most important. And uh, and he taught me that. And then Belichick took it to another level. And I am, uh, so I look at it differently. Like, like, like Jack Morris was up for a couple of years and he struggled. I, I, he scared me when I was a young, I was in my, you know, teens and mm-hmm. early twenties and I saw him, he just scared me yep. and I, I didn't want to see him. I, I like as a Red Sox fan growing up, I look at him and go, wow, I, this, and then what he did his accomplishments in the playoffs is, you know, complete game shutout yep. game yep. seven win. This is these, this is not normal. This is not, this is like, I, I don't want to, don't tell me stats. I want when they performed, 
when they they had to pitch their best, they had to win, they had to get the big hit. David Ortiz, when it mattered most, these guys are Hall of Famers. That's who Hall of Famers are. And I'm not saying the other guys because baseball, as you know, is a game of consistency. You know, Don Sutton. We could talk about Don Sutton. It, it's you know, is he is he an elite Hall of Famer? No, I thought he was questionable. But I do understand, you know, for 20-something years, he did it every day, and he gave you he gave you more quality starts, which is important, probably more now than it was years ago. But he pitched complete games back when they were important. And so I, I, I'm not saying those guys don't belong, but I, I'm just telling you, I, I got my pecking order, and I'm with Mariano Rivera. I'm with, I'm with Derek Jeter. I'm with, you know, I, I, I'm with Kurt Schilling. I'm with guys that performed at their best when it mattered most. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. And I think, you know, when you, when you start to talk about winning, winning has been so, um, winning has become a punchline. Um, and, and you, you having been fresh, uh, out of the, you know, the travel ball showcase craze, um, you, you, you can, uh, you, you can testify to this that, uh, and I saw this a long time ago, uh, where it started to be, um, we, we started to sort of compartmentalize baseball became and now it has become almost fully uh, a combine game where it's about your skills. And um, I right. say I say at the end of the day, in any pool of players, you're going to have the standard DV, the bell curve. You're going to have some terrible guys on one side. You're going to have the elite guys on the other side, both of whom are the easiest to pick. You, you don't need to be a good baseball person to pick the best player, the fastest guy, the guy who hits the ball the furthest, or right. the guy who throws it the hardest. And you also don't need to be a baseball person to pick the worst kid who can't catch the ball, who can't throw the ball, who can't run. Those are easy. It really takes what Keith Hernandez calls, and Keith Hernandez is an interesting uh, case study for the Hall of Fame, because Keith, Keith Hernandez was a great player, and I'm not a Met fan, and I know about Keith Hernandez's, uh, Keith Hernandez's foibles, but Keith Hernandez played in a ballpark, in two ballparks where it was impossible to hit home runs, and Keith Hernandez is the greatest first baseman I've ever seen. He changed that position. That Cardinal team had two players who literally played their positions like no one has ever played them since. They had Ozzie Smith, and they had Keith Hernandez, but I, I, I digress. I digress. So what we've really done now is we've diminish the value of winning. And what's really important is that big group of guys that are very close in the middle, your ability to pick the ones out who are going to help you from that group is what's going to make or break your season, your team, your dynasty, whatever it is. And in my opinion, the way you do it is by the immeasurables, not the measure. We're investing, and I, I have no problem with analytics and data. I think it's great. I think data is great, but we've had data for 150 years. It's just in a different form now. But what I do believe is we're investing an awful lot of time, energy, and money in deciphering from a measurable point of view something that is almost negligible in its difference, where the big difference is do I want Bill Bird, who's a great guy, or do I want Joe Smith, who's a dog? Because they're both kind of close. Whether you hit 17 home runs and the other guy hits 20, it doesn't matter. If you drive in 81 runs and another guy drives in 87, there's no difference there. The difference is exactly as you articulated so eloquently. It's what do you do when the chips are down or the game is on the line or I need you? How often can I count on you coming through in that circumstance? 
So Bill Parcells, let's say this. You know, you saw the, uh, the, the, all the, pre, all the uh, replays from, um, what's his name? Um, uh, LeBron James passing, getting the scoring title yes, and yes. crying yeah. on the court. Yeah. And I just said no to Parcells. Wow. A big Bill Parcells moment for, of course, they lost the game by 20. Right. And, uh, and he's crying over the points with the most meaningless statistic. And I understand he passed Jordan and Jordan was his 23. I get it. But this is the generate. This is where we are. Right. This is where we are. We're worried about points championship. Whatever. I don't, it doesn't mean anything. Right. It doesn't mean anything. And look, I'll go back to the world series. I was there in, in, in Dodger stadium, Manny Machado. Now, who do you, who's going to make the hall of fame, Manny Machado or Steve Pierce? Manny Machado's <laughs> in the hall of fame. He's going to, he's going to get all the stats. And I will just tell you, Steve Pierce, uh, there's something, and he, and he was, he was like that all year. You, I think he was in New York. You guys had him for a while. Yes, at the, yes, the Yankees. yeah. No. But, but this this guy is not afraid. And I, I know he's not a ta- like the super talent. I know in the field, though, he did make a nice play at Yankee Stadium that last play to, to clinch the game, going off the base and making that catch uh, on the, the, the error yes. throw from yes. third from uh, Nunez, another Yankee, by the way. And uh, I so Machado, who had – the irony is of the World Series – Manny Machado lost the World Series. You know why he lost it? He had eight opportunities to make a difference, right. and he was 0 for 8 right. in those eight times. Right. And and the Red Sox blew them away, so he gets away with the with it. But no, I know because I know how great Manny Machado is. I saw him with the Orioles. Yeah, this guy is incredible is, ability. And, yes, is, is an elite yeah. talent. Yeah, fielding, hitting, power, and you know what happened though. Uh, you know he's a little, you know he's a little out there, and in the end he um, he didn't come through. He was 0 for 8, and he had eight chances to win games, and he lost them all. If he hit three of them in baseball, you don't go, you know, you don't go eight for eight. Right. How about three for eight? If you go three for eight, that's a seven game series. And you know what? That's why you're paid 300 million, to, in my opinion, to do that. So some team paid him 300 million, of course, the San Diego team who. You know, we don't know what the hell's going on over there. Right. Um, so, lo and behold, the, you think the Red Sox have any respect, and I don't want to say respect, but you think the Red Sox ever would pay Manny Machado? Trust me, they throw money around like drunken sailors. That guy wouldn't have got it, and they know it. They knew they knew mentally that he wasn't the guy. And uh, that's what this game's about. The baseball, look, you, you've talked about it in all of your shows, and, you, look, you do a great job. And, uh, Thank you. This, this game is so mentally challenging. And I, I got a son who's gone through it. I could tell you he's from five years old when I knew he had a little special talent. He was a little mentally ahead of most kids. He was tinier than all of them, but he always knew what to do. And I, I don't really, I can't take credit for it. It was more like innate. And, and, and he carried that through and then he grew and then it was over. So I, my only thing was I exacerbated more the mental approach and love of baseball but he took it to levels that I, you know, I loved. I would have killed. I would kill to be my son right now, to be honest with you. But uh, he, uh, he, he was into the game. He was into the intricacies of the game, and we don't, we don't, we don't have enough of that. And that's my like. I, I really would. I'd love to. I'd love to work for the commissioner and be more promoting the sport and what makes it special. Uh, I cover every sport. 
Uh, football is the easiest to cover. It's a no-brainer. Nobody knows anything about the play. Like, when, when, what's going to be funny is the draft's going to come up. And everyone's talking about that. I want this receiver from Clemson. Well, do you know what? Belichick watched every single play this, this receiver from Clemson played for three years. He watched every single play. And then we're going to say, what? no, no, you can't take him. Get to, you know, no, so we don't really know, which is what uh, the, the old coach, the Colts coach said. And it, it was really, it was, he was sort of mocking fans and media, but he was right. We don't know. In baseball, you know, we, we don't always know either. And uh, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping this game gets appreciated for what it is. Uh, I, I think they got to, I'm not saying make, make changes to make everyone happy and make it a, a, a crazy, stupid game. Like, you know, the time element, I, I'm not saying, I don't like it being rushed per se. I mm-hmm. do like it being sped up a little bit. I just don't want it being rushed. And I want, I want this game to be appreciated for just sitting there and then watching it 2-0 and and watch a shortstop move over to the left mm-hmm. a little, mm-hmm. watch a second base and move over towards second base. That, to me, is interesting, and I don't think it's interesting to probably 99% of the people that are watching. Well, I think I, I, you make such fabulous points, and I'm, I'm trying to mentally you know, inventory my responses. Um, I, I, uh, two things I want to say. First of all, you're absolutely right about LeBron James. I'm, I'm really done with all of this celebration of the individual because Mickey Mantle, I remember him saying, wow, if, I, if they told me 30-30 was a big deal, I would have done it every year. <laughs> You know, it just goes to show you, you know, he was concerned with winning seven World Series. That's what they wanted to do. But I mean, I understand also that the reason why LeBron James makes three hundred million dollars or five hundred, whatever it might be, has a lot to do with his basketball, but more to do with his consciousness of his brand. And that's what we've created. We have created the ability for players to create brands. Now, um, I agree, you you know, when you talk about your son and the nuanced kind of appreciation he has, he's an outlier and he's actually lucky because one of his best buddies is, as you're talking, I'm thinking about my guy who would be on my Mount Rushmore, who is Mickey Gasper, who when the Yankees came and asked us about Mickey, I said, how could you not take, how could you not want this kid on your team? But the answer now and, and this is where I really wanted to get to, is the answer now is always in the measurables. Well, look, you know, his spin rate on his breaking ball. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends in pro ball and, you know, I'm endeavoring to to be in player development again in professional baseball. I think it's a natural for me. It's where I belong. I'd, I'd make a really good like a ball manager. Um, and I but, you know, I'm getting the reports back where, you you know, you know, workouts are stopped because the computer is down. It's as if we're becoming enslaved right. to the data rather than the data being a slave to us. Uh, and when you watch, look, look, the message makers are the press, MLB, what you watch on TV. You watch M- You watch ma- the Major League Baseball Network, and these guys are bending over. I'm surprised they all don't have on-site chiropractors because they are bending over <laughs> so far backwards to legitimize stuff that – is at its best in its infancy. This smacks so much of Kool-Aid drinking, kind of nitpicking. Um, and, and, and I just wonder, you know, when you start to have, when you start to judge the value of an organization by the size of your data department, 
Like, oh, you know, you know, the Mets only had 11 people in their data department. And, the, you know, the, the Astros have 63. Well, here's the reason why the Astros and, and, and I'm not picking on the Astros. God knows they don't. They, right. It doesn't matter to them. But the Astros have to remember one thing. Be careful about patting yourself on the back like you invented something. First of all, Casey Stengel was using this information in the 50s with the Yankees, all right? He was the first guy who said the most important innings are the sixth and the seventh. I'm not going to have my best pitcher in the bullpen when I'm losing the game in the sixth or seventh inning. He platooned before anybody did. He had an innate sense of who to play and when to play them, all right? And and I just think it's a, it's a little bit disingenuous. And I don't know how Major League Baseball and guys like Rob Manfred, who are otherwise really smart people— I've said this before, Park Avenue is filled with big, fancy degrees. Those people are really smart otherwise. I've never seen a greater disconnect, a greater disconnect in all my years in baseball between what young people want and what baseball is shoving down their throats. I've never seen it. And I don't know how, and this is not a pleasant analogy, but it fits. You don't use the cigarette company model. You want to hook them young. You hook them young, they become a fan until they're 100 years old. You're not hooking these kids young. I know 13, 14, 15-year-old kids never watch a game. This is America. It's the first time since baseball was invented that that is the case. But listen, I grew up I grew up playing stickball yeah. every day. We, of course. We, we had this great uh, building at the maintenance department in Germantown where I lived in Quincy. And we painted it. The guy got mad, but he said, as long as we're not doing anything bad, breaking windows... And I was there every day. Of course you were. Every day. And I could imitate every right. Red Sox hitter. Right. I'm sure right you could. And lefty. Right. You had the whole and lineup. I switch hitter. And, and I, I had a great curveball. I didn't have it in baseball, but I had it in stickball. But I love the game. I got up. I, we, get, we go 8 a.m. There'd be 12 of us. And we'd play a little game. We'd go home for lunch. And then we'd come back. And, and then we'd go to the park and play real baseball. We had problems sometimes finding a good baseball. But look, those days are done. Yes, they are. And they are done. So I, it's like we, you and I have talked about this. I don't know how we're going to bring it back because right now the issue is, one issue is we're all afraid that our kids are going to get kidnapped. So we don't leave them anywhere. We don't, we, we got, where are you? I mean, look, I, we live in a cul-de-sac and, you know, it, it was a different, when I grew up, I grew up in the projects. I was the oldest of seven kids. I was out at eight. And I came, maybe I came right. home for lunch and I was back at 6 p.m. with my yep. dad at home for dinner. Yep. That was it. And nowadays it's, no, I know where my son is 24-7. And I knew where he was for the last 15 years, 20 years. And I'm not saying that's, I mean, I mean I'm not proud to say that because I think we do have to give the, give people, I, I think I am who I am because of my independence. Absolutely. My decision making. You can't escape the and culture. Parents, I, I was lucky. I had two parents. Who really? I had one that gave me the fear of God, and the other gave me a hard, a good work ethic, and I both of them carried me through. So, um, but but then we brought our kids up, and we're all worried. They, I want their life to be better than mine. I, right, I don't know right. where that came from. I think, <laughs> Ridiculous. I think that's a World War II thing, yeah. which is a disgrace because it's that's not. We don't owe them that. We owe them a good life with good fundamentals and good values, and they will make the right decision and right. for the most part. And there's bad luck, and we get kids that you know they fall barely by the wayside. But I'm very lucky, and I will say, I, I my son, I couldn't be proud. I have one child, and uh, he couldn't have turned out any better in a sense where uh, he has he never never a problem. And I, I'm very lucky because he loved the same thing I love. And it was funny. We were, I, I tell the story. We we're in Cuba, 
uh, Northeastern as your baseball team went to Cuba. Great experience. You know, we've been to Dominican Republic. We've been to Cuba. Talk about two eye-opening baseball experiences. But we're in Cuba, and we, this is after we played a game, and we went to the beach, beautiful beach, and he's in the water. It's just He's with all his buddies, and they all sort of went away. So he and I, and he said, you know, Dad, I love baseball. And I, I didn't ask him to say it. He just said it to me. And I left. I, I didn't say anything in return. And it just hit me. Wow. I, I, that's, I wish I said that at some point. And, uh, and now here we are. We're three years later. He gets drafted and he's playing Miley baseball. He had dinner tonight with Mickey Gasper, your guy, two other guys, one a pitcher from, from out in, uh, out in Seattle at Gonzaga and another, another junior college stud. And these guys are just talking baseball. I, I was having fun just listening to him at dinner talk about their day today. And, uh, I'm sort of jealous. I'd love to go back 25, even though I was just a right. barely a Division three player, but uh, but a ball. I uh, I'm I'm very 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 lucky. Well, I I paid him the, the ultimate compliment when I had him on my show. I said you were just a real pain in the ass to play against. I just want you to know that. Um, <laughs> so that is the from a from the opposition That's, coach. It is. That is it the, is. Oh, the this, you know, tough somebody. out. He's going to make every play. Jesus Christ! Somebody hit him in the leg. Get him out of the game. You're listening to the conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends Hunter and Braden Bishop as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. So I I have a question. It Actually, it dovetails well based on what you just said about uh, having a minor league son. So... Two guys just signed for, I guess, what, three quarters of a billion dollars or, clo- or, or right, five, it's two, yeah. 300 million, 330 million. So, so t- two thirds of a billion dollars, right? Um, the game is flourishing right now. You know, financially, teams are very solvent. Um, There's still money there. Yeah. Right, right. There's a lot of money. A lot of guys are making a lot of money, ir- irrespective by of the what. Way, both are- by the way, both those guys are 500 over their careers, but uh, under 500, by the way. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, you're not going to get any argument from me. Um, yeah. So how do you, as the parent of a kid who's in minor league baseball, uh, how do you reconcile the fact that perhaps not your son, but a lot of kids, a lot, um, will have to make a choice between uh, continuing to play baseball or go broke, uh, a lot of times struggle to have enough to eat, live in circumstances that are very, very substandard, making 1100 bucks a month and eating peanut butter to survive. And really, because of that love of the game that you, you talked about, uh, are being exploited while the Major League Baseball Players Association is pissed that nobody is signing free agents for $400 million. It is embarrassing uh, what these kids are making. It's now, I, I want to make one thing clear. I want to make one thing clear. I don't think minor league players should be rich. 
but I happen to know because no. I, I, I was, I, I, I was there and I understand. And, and in 2014, when I was with the Mets, I could not believe, you know, that we were running out of food. And, and I really saw the conditions that guys had to endure. And, and, and here's, here's where my point. If it's about player development, if it's about, you know, we're going to do everything we possibly can to make these players as good as we could possibly make them. Why would you want them living in squalor and wondering whether or not they can afford to continue the stress alone of not having enough money to, to make ends meet at all has to affect your play. So it really doesn't even benefit the team, yet nobody makes this an issue. And to me, this is so, baseball's black eye. So what you're saying is why, I mean, look, where is the black player? Where is he? Oh, well, the black player. Black well, I, I could tell you where he's gone. The black player. The minute travel ball uh, suckered people into thinking that you needed to pay to play, and that's what it was. It was. It's hucksterism, and the hucksters are out. The free market works perfectly. There was a niche, right? Parents got sucked into thinking that if anybody claims that they know something, they must. It's like if you don't study for a test, you'll cheat off anybody because they must know more than you. Well, when you don't know anything, everybody becomes a genius. Well, guess what? Those geniuses started charging you money and essentially the black player went to, to football and to basketball. It's a disgrace that right now, I believe major league representation amongst the black community is as low as it was in the sixties. We are losing great athletes. You come up to the right, Cape and, I, and it is lily white, lily white. college baseball I, is lily white. <laughs> Listen, we played AAU, so now we're lucky. Bill Burt, my wife Mary, and Max. Uh, in fact, we were talking about it today. You know, sort of making fun of Max's um, bonus, which wasn't very high. And they're talking about other guys that got a lot more, 500000 Sure. 600000 a million. Sure. And I said, and, and, and they were talking about Max's, and I said, well, his parents are taking, they've taken the extra zero. They, the zero that's added is what we're paying. Right. And it's sort of a joke, but it isn't. And if that's why black and, and I'm saying not only black, but inner city Hispanic kids in Absolutely. America, not talking, the, not talking over the Dominican Republic because they're basically bred. And if you're talented at 16 or 17, you're on the gravy train and someone's signing you for 600,000, 300,000 or whatever. You have, you might have not have an education, but you get the money. So we are in America. We've just destroyed in my opinion, where a lot of the talent is. No question. Know, look, go back to all the great athletes. Go back to 90% of them. They're, most of them are poor kids. That Larry Bird, Babe Ruth, Michael, jo Michael Jordan was lower middle class. Um, keep going. Name, name every great And what's the, com what's the common denominator? What's the common denominator amongst poor kids? They don't, their parents, and their parents don't have their heads firmly planted up that kid's rear end. That kid's on his own. Right, right. You go on your own, you it's develop own. high self-esteem, self-reliance. <laughs> and, you know, what is happening? I mean, I live in New York City. You're from Boston. I mean, where, where are, the black player has been essentially, you know, financed out of the game. He has. Right. And I, I don't like calling it because I've, I've heard a few players say oh, it's, it's a racist thing. It's, it's got nothing it's, to do with it. It's, it's, it's economics. Not, what, what it's nothing to do with what it is, is we have not, because in my opinion, that's, and that's why I, I think I, my conversation with the commissioner as assistant was this is, we, we need to go after these kids. They're very talented and they're not, they're not going to be NBA players and baseball. The great part about baseball is, uh, and, but they got to, you, you can't get them at 13, 
baseball, the, the, the essence is at nine or 10, you start to, whoa, I like this. This is cool. And whoa, very mental, cerebral. This is smart. Yep, I, I, yep. It's not just about running. And we need to get these kids, and I say this, I, I say we got to go on an all-out attack to get these kids at 7, 8, 9, and 10, and we need to get them to, to, to learn about baseball. And that you can't make people love anything. You can't make them like anything, but you show them the game, and it's not boring. It's completely the opposite. I mean, look, I'll be honest with you. My, Max was try, A couple people in lacrosse are trying to drag him away. And, you know, I have a nephew that played for the Boston Cannons, a very good player. You know why he played lacrosse? Because he couldn't hit a baseball. And, and literally, he, he came to me. I, I used to work, and he's like seven, eight years older than Max. And I, I worked with him, and he just he struggled hitting. And he was afraid to tell me, because I work with him so much, that I don't want to play baseball. I want to play lacrosse. And But that's what happens. You go to lacrosse. A, a great baseball player could be a star lacrosse player. It doesn't split the other way. And I, my point is, I just think we don't appreciate this game enough. And so I'm going to say, we are, right now, things look good. The numbers are still yeah, oh, good. Yeah, absolutely. But, sure. You know, you, know, you know what, though? A few years ago, um, you know, Bryce Harper gets his $400 million No question. Deal. That's right. Guess what? That's they, right. It, it wasn't around this time. And it's, right. it's 13 years. I'm not saying he's not getting, a, you know, a ton of money, but it's you're starting to see a little crack in the armor and you know, if they wait till it's too late, I'm going to be so ticked off and it might be 20 years from now when I'm going, going to my grave. But, uh, I am, I, I, I'll say it again. I love going to batting practice. I love watching kids field grounders. Maybe yeah, that's but you, weird, you, but you, I love it. I, you only, you only love it because you grew up with it. B, B, watching BP was the greatest thing in the world. You go to the ballpark, you brought your own food. I remember bringing sandwiches to Shea Stadium to watch batting. I like batting practice better than the game. You got to see more. You got to see they guys. They don't let people in the batting I, I know. And, and you know that? I know. They don't even let them in. I know. I know. I, believe me, I know. I mean, it's, it's just, to me, look, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, here's what's happened in baseball. Baseball's become golf and tennis. It's a rich white kid's game in America. It really, I'm sorry, it's become an access game. If you don't have access, you can't play. Golf, if you don't have one of two, you look at the PGA Tour and Americans, it's one of two kids, rich or your father was the head pro at Wingfoot or your father was the head pro at Seminole. <laughs> Otherwise, you don't have access because you can't afford, or a regular kid can't afford to play enough golf to become a PGA Tour player. There are outliers, but most of those kids are either wealthy or their father had some hook at a country club. And 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 with baseball, now that baseball becomes, you know, I know people that pay, pay five and six and seven thousand dollars so that their 13 year old can play summer ball for some, you know, hack who spent a half hour in organized baseball who now has an academy and a travel team. Right. And he's not teaching the game. No, of course he's not. Like, I, I will tell you, Max is like learned. Like at each level, we learned, realize how much he doesn't know. And we thought he was getting incredible instruction oh. back when he was 13. God. And I'm not, I'm not blaming them. But I'm just saying that's the way it is. And even at the pro level, I mean, there's, there's a, you know, it's not all. A lot of it is if you don't work on your own oh, and do this on your own, absolutely, I agree. They're not gonna, they're not gonna take you there. They're not gonna lead you there. It's all on you. That's why these guys. That's why I respect these players. I and I'm not saying I know what they go through, but I sort of know what they go through. And it's funny. Max said the same thing to me. He said, 
people don't understand. They've seen the major leaguers and they go, what a great life. Right. And they don't know about the right. four years before that. Right. And uh, really what you said uh, how to get there, it's, uh, it's special, it's brutal. Uh, you know, in the Northeast, we're, we're indoor in these lousy commercial buildings Terrible. with nets. And, and then he, you know, he came to Florida and a week into Florida, he goes, you know what? I'm way behind. I thought I was going to be ahead. I'm behind. And, uh, cause I need to be outside. I need to take grounders. I didn't, I took grounders on a turf. The ball is, the turf isn't natural. Turf the ball, you know where it's bouncing and dirt. It's, you know, you got to adjust. Tell that, ball's a little different. tell that to a kid who's from California. He looks like, at you like you have two heads. He doesn't, what? Inside? What are you talking about? Who goes inside? We never go inside. Anyway, I want to ask you a couple of other things. They have no idea what it means. And, they don't, and you know, it's, it, it is the weather. That's the way it is. Um, wow. We are really speeding through this, getting a lot of stuff. You got to come on again. All right. Um, I, want, I want to play Anytime. a game. I want to play a game with you. This is what we do. Call it quick pitch. I'm going to say something. You give me your response. Your son played it. Everybody did. Uh, you ready? What's your favorite food? Pizza. My man. Pepperoni pizza. Pepperoni pizza. Okay. Um, what is the last show that you binge watched? Um, binge. I don't. I'm, I don't really know. I've never binge watched a show, so I don't really understand this Netflix thing. I'm. I'm really old. And uh, I got me and my wife watch a lot of. You know, she, we'll watch some stuff like. I. You know what I love. I love Nightline 2020. I love crime shows mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. someone died and I figure out who committed it like five minutes into the show. Right. If you ask me, that's my favorite. I, I started that, believe it or not, 276 First Street, Brooklyn, New York, with my grandmother upstairs watching Perry Mason. That's how I cut my teeth on <laughs> crime. They were great. I loved it. Raymond Burr. It was just wonderful. I, um, I was a big fan, too. So that's when I, one of my first shows that I started yeah, watching. Fabulous, fabulous. Uh, we, could, we could do a show on those shows. Um, yes, let's do it. Fabulous. We should. Really, that was, that's a great theme. We're going to do that. I'll, I'll, I'll write something up. You write something up. We'll do it. Um, so um, give me, like, if you're on a desert island, uh, three movies you have to have. Godfather one, Godfather two, <laughs> and the the movie that changed my life. So wait, I this I love two movies. So one is Breakfast Club. I'm a, I'm a relationship guy. I just right. love the relationships. Breakfast Club to me is one of the all time great movies that we need to show. In my opinion, sixth graders, not high schoolers. Right. We don't want to fall into these ruts of these cliques. Because we're going, you're going to. Let's stop it now. I would show Breakfast Club to sixth graders and let the swearing go. But I love the, the movie that changed my life was Jaws, and um, I, it was up in Nantucket. And my opinion, sorry. And I, uh, I was a. I grew up in the ocean in Quincy, and I was fearless. I would swim out a mile. I would swim twenty feet under and grab rocks. And it, I, I, I don't look at water the same from that movie. I don't want to say. I, you say the best Godfather one and two. I I watched both of them again about two weeks ago. Um, love Michael Corleone. Yeah, works of I art. They're works movie. of art. It's yeah, they they are. They're works of art. They are works of art. There's no question they, about they it. They are. They to me, Godfather one, two was. You know what? One was really the greatest. I think the greatest movie they ever made. But two was as good. But one just awed me. It. I, I was in awe of one. And two was, wow, 
they took this to another level. So, uh, and those, and again, uh, Michael Corleone, um, Al uh, De Niro, uh, as good as it gets, and uh, never forget it. Um, so that's my pick. Try to try the veal. It's the best in the city. Um, okay, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the scene. Um, oh God. Uh, okay, you get three dinner guests dead, no relation to you. Who are they? Babe Ruth, Jesus Christ, and who's the other? Um, my grandmother, who I never met. I just want to talk to her about her side, my mom's side of the family. I want to know what the hell went wrong. So I get through those three. I want them <laughs> all, all right. together in one. I'll, I'll give you a pass on her because she is related to you, but that's okay. I understand. Oh, Nothing sorry, like your grandmother. That's all right. No, that's all right. It's all good. It's all good. Um, you know, when you said Jaws, I thought back to I was in high school and I remember where I was walking to the gym and we started talking about this movie. And, you know, people look at it now and the shark looks ridiculous and they don't realize, of course, they yeah, can't, fake, you know, right? they, they process history through the lens of the present, which is absurd. Uh, and they don't right. realize we had never seen that before. People did not go to I, I know people that vowed they would like never go to the beach again. People were literally fear struck. By that film. It they they thought that if they went into the water, it, there was a high likelihood that they were going to get eaten by a shark. They really did. That's yeah. how powerful that movie was. Yeah, I can't. I'm, I'm, I can't. I'm, it kills me. So it's too bad. But it was a great movie and it changed my life. And I'm right. not saying in a good way. Right. Because I grew up in the ocean. But That's, uh, that's how profound the film can be. So I want to ask you a question. Aside from uh, making me a manager, um, what if you could make one change in baseball? Uh, one change. Uh, on the, you know what? I, 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 it's a different question. Of the changes contemplated, universal DH, um, which for me anyway, unfortunately, seems to have an inevitable momentum that uh, it's just a matter of when, not if. Um, what changes do you like? And what changes maybe that we don't know of would you implement if you were now commissioner? Okay, so I, I've thought about this a lot. And first of all, the universal DH, uh, look, I, I've been involved in college baseball, watching games, and minor league baseball now, and pitchers don't hit. It just doesn't happen anymore. You get, you know, you get your couple every year, one, one a year maybe, but I, I just think it's crazy, the DH thing. Just let's have DHs and, and okay. let's stop. The, 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 way, the way pitching has become specialized let's just go to a dh okay okay i do understand the intricacies of it i, I i'm not saying i i do like the strategy of the national league right. Right. but but i just want i don't i want everyone the same and i'm, I'm pro dh so i have okay. no problem with that okay. the, the other thing is i want to see the game does have to adjust a little bit to the times and i've heard about split season uh you could convince me on that. I'm still not there yet, but I do understand how it could increase. You know, everyone starts from zero again, and you get a fresh start. Right. And it's a it's a new race. Uh, the other thing is, and I, I heard someone say this, and I, I I'd like to see every series a three game series, and have the uh, if it's a split, the third game gets you an extra point. And I know it's sort of fluky. But this season is so long. I, I think, first of all, I think the season is too long. I think 162 is too long. 
I'd like to see it end maybe in mid-September and have the playoffs end by the middle October, end of October, not go into November. Uh, I like it. I'd like to see it. The reason why I, I'd like it to mean something. So if you win a game and I win a game and that third game, all of a sudden you might, might go, well, you know what? I really wasn't going to care about it, but now I, I really do care. And every series means something. Now, if there's a rain out, you save that game for some date and that game is more meaningful. It's got a star on it. I just think that might do, might add a little life to sort of a blase May, May, June or July series. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I understand, you know, I, cause I am a baseball purist. I'm a historian, but I think we can make some small changes that can a can you know sort of like sort of like religion like Catholicism you gotta you gotta, you gotta right. come to the right, right. You, know, you can't the mass can't be bit. the mass can't be in Latin anymore <laughs> no right exactly. right that's, that's that's a great point and so I would uh, I would consider I, I, the split season is interesting to me I've never gone through it I've never watched followed a team that was involved in it but I do understand the, uh, they do it in the uh, they do it in the minors and. A couple teams, I was talking to a couple players about it. He said it was cool. You know, all of a sudden the season ended. We finished third. We missed the playoffs. And then we felt like it was day one on July 15th again. And so that's interesting to me. I don't know if I'm all for it, but I could be. The three-game series is interesting because I think it would be, it would add some value to games that might be sort of we wouldn't pay attention to. Like you'd watch on the news, hey, hey, and the third game for the extra point. Uh, the, the Giants beat the Cardinals, and they brought in a reliever in the seventh, you know, because they wanted to win it. They want the extra point. I don't know. That's a little something different. I uh, and we're running out of time, but I, I would say this: uh, the one thing I think that has affected baseball uh, that has been a really has had a deleterious effect on the enjoyment of the game more than anything in the last twenty years, in my opinion, is the uh, the absolute abomination that instant replay is from a logistics standpoint and the optics of it are just they, that was implemented as badly as anything could ever be implemented I, I first of all I don't need to know that the shoelace of the bat of the runner touched second base before the guy's glove hit it I'm okay with the imperfections I love the Mona Lisa because it's not perfect um, and why it is in an age of technology where we transfer information literally almost before it happens does the overweight old crew chief down the right field line have to come running into the third base dugout with another guy, put two sets of headphones on a guy jumps out of the stands with what looks like an old hot dog vendors cart. And they sit there for 10 minutes waiting to hear from New York city. Are you trying to tell me that they can't have a, somebody can't have a bug in their ear. It goes, you have 30 seconds if, if, thir- if 30 seconds transpires and you don't have it, you know, we don't have a definitive view, then there is nothing. I mean, to me, if guys sat, if you sat around in a room in Major League Baseball and that's the best you can do, then the future doesn't bode well for the leadership of Major League Baseball. Tommy, I'm going to take it a step further. I don't think they should have TVs in the dugout where they can look at it. I, and get I a agree. Phone call I agree. Challenge it. No, you're, you're questioning the call on site. He made the call. Right. If you disagree with it, challenge it. And and then I see the manager hold the hand up. They got to right. wait until right. they get that, the TV That review. is not a good look. So, I'm sorry. That's why people don't enjoy the game. It's not because it's too long. Yeah. It's because of these, It's you know, you don't know. Do we celebrate? Do we not celebrate? And my friend had a great idea. You know what he said? Have the batter, have the runner 
be the only one that could ask for instant replay. So you slide into second base. Now you take it upon yourself. If you think you were safe, you ask for instant replay immediately. They point up to the stand, you know, up to a booth. 30 Good seconds call. goes by and that's it. It's over. All of this, these, this history. And then you're actually, you know, it does remind me a little bit of the church. You know, when we were weird both in the church, it's one thing to obey the rules. What baseball tells you is not only do you have to obey these ridiculous rules, you have to love them. So now you get everybody jumping on board, bending over backwards, saying, oh, instant replay is great. It's an abomination. That's that's my take on it. That's the only thing that I would definitely change. I would roll back instant replay to only include border calls, home run or not home run, because I, I, I and you know what I would do? I would raise the bar on the umpires because they're not good enough. I'm sorry. You can't get 50% of the reviewed calls wrong. You can't. Well, we're letting them off the hook with these Absolutely. Absolutely. I used to like watching arguments. Of course you did. Of course you did. they just look up to the video. Right. 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 There's no more characters in the game. Bill, this is great. I knew you you were going to be great. Your son was great. I think, I don't know. There's going to be a little contest here in the bar. In the, the Bird family, there's no there's no contest on the field, but off the field, I think your son has some competition. Um, thank I, you. I can't I can't that. thank you enough. Um, let's have a conversation this week. Let's talk about another. Uh, I got a bunch of stuff I want to talk to you about anyway. Um, as usual, we are going to go out with part of the uh, greatest 20 minutes in the history of live rock and roll music. Live Aid Queen 1985, Freddie Mercury. I want to thank everybody for listening. Mom and Dad, thank you. I love you. Bill, you're the best. Thanks. Thanks very much.
Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at TommyWeberBball or Instagram at TommyWeberBaseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Um...